Hello and welcome to From the Rooker Inn, supported by The Athletic. With me is Mike. Uh, all right. And Jason. Hello. And we've just watched Watford lose 1-0 up at Turf Moor against Sean Dyche's Burnley, which we will be discussing hopefully in some positivity. Hold tight, Mike. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet365, who offer a wide range of bets, including first, last and any time scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With games being played nearly every day, you can use Bet365's Bet Builder to combine match results, players to score, number of goals and, well, a lot more, to create your own personalised bet. Use Bet365 live match feature to follow games in even more detail with every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Mike, as an overall performance... It's up there with one of the worst of the season, isn't it? Well, do you know what? We've spent the last couple of days watching the other teams who are in this relegation battle with us struggle, uh, which gave us hope, really, ahead of tonight's game with Burnley, because they, they've struggled and it's, the door was left open for us to, to perhaps put a bit of a gap between us and the, uh, and the other teams at the bottom. We looked exactly like all the other struggling teams at the bottom. We looked devoid of ideas, we looked idea, uh, devoid of nous, looked devoid of energy and there's a whole host of reasons why that could be the case it's six o'clock red hot must be the hottest um hottest day ever a premier league game's been played on so we get on to opta with that please well yeah we'll find out hopefully <laughs> there's got to be somewhere along the line so lots of mitigating factors but we looked basically we looked as bad as everyone else has looked that is that's in the same situation as us and that's really disappointing because we've had a you say disappointing a, mike but actually it might be the reason why we're all down at the bottom of the league well, it is, yeah. I, and, I, and I said we watched the game together via via Zoom, and I th- and I said the bottom line is Watford actually aren't that good. And I think to come back from this break after what was a, a pretty terrible first three quarters of the season, wasn't it really? And and even the form before lockdown was, if you if you look at it in isolation, was was bad. You take Liverpool out of the the equation, and, and we'd been playing some pretty bad football, and the results hadn't been great at all, had they? We threw it away at Villa, threw it away against Everton, so. That you can't just get rid of that, and and I think the hope was that we would. The hope was that we'd wipe away that sort of horrifying, really, first three quarters of the season and, and start afresh. But we haven't been able to do that, and I think the the environment I think is making that harder than we perhaps anticipated. The lack of crowds, the the heat today, um, the fitness. I, I think perhaps we underestimated. You know, we started without Decore today. Um, we made big substitutions against Leicester on. Uh, on Saturday so I think perhaps as supporters certainly I did I think I underestimated the fitness side of things but you know that that performance was I wouldn't say it's the worst ever because I think like I said that there, there are mitigating factors but it was in, in light of the situation in light of where we're at in terms of the season we've now got what seven games left to save our, our Premier League status in light of what's happened to the teams around us in the last couple of days I expected a little bit more and we have to we have to there's a huge caveat in all this Burnley are terrifically difficult to play against we know exactly how they're going to set up that we they, they've been our Achilles heel for you know for for, for many many years um, but just it just felt so flat and so I think the lack of imagination really was yeah. was, was was what got me I wouldn't say it's the worst performance ever um, but but under the circumstances deeply deeply disappointing uh, Jason, though, you know, we'll, we'll get to why there wasn't much, as much creati- creativity in, in our discussion. But the first half, 
Low on possession, really, like 36% in the first half. Couldn't really get anything going. Was it just was it just us and Burnley stopping us? Is, is, was, is that as simple as that? No, I don't think it's just Burnley stopping us because it was. Uh, you say we didn't have much possession, which means Burnley had the lion's share of possession, which is very unBurnley like, isn't it? They're, they they normally concede possession. Yes, it, yeah, it was us doing that. Obviously, we came out with a different formation, uh, and I'm not sure we settled into that. Um, mm. We had the, the three guys up front, but I didn't think the link was there with Deeney. Deeney just seemed to be a bit more on his own than he was against Leicester on Saturday. I thought him and Decore linked up very well, particularly in the first half on Saturday. That just didn't seem to be there tonight. And I think by the time we got to half-time, we probably should have been 2 or 3-0 down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that sort of formation up front was definitely something that was tried out at, at Brentford the week before the season started with Welbeck and Cleverly sort of working as a as a pair and, 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 and mixing up. But like you say, it, it didn't quite click into gear. As you spoke about with Jason there, they did have the lion's share of possession and they got in behind us without even hitting us on the break, which is what Burnley usually tend to do. It is far too easy to to unlock the Watford defence. Ben Foster came herring out a couple of times, and uh, and as Jason said, we could have been 2 or 3-0 down at half-time, which, against the Burnley side, which is up against it, quite frankly. You know, We, we all know the situation they've got with, with, with contract injuries, with contra- contract issues, with injuries. And yes, we also thought that Sean Dyche could use that to their, their benefit. He knows how to game a situation to, to make it best for, for his side. But... That, the fact that Watford could have been two or three nil down at half time, I think, does bear labouring the point a little bit. I think it's important that we do say that that was a, a poor first half. And I just felt that Burnley knew what our weaknesses are defensively, in that we've got two fullbacks that, that like to push on, that often get found out positionally, and Burnley were pinging a lot of diagonal balls in getting them in quite quickly and trying to catch those fullbacks out, and that's that's where the problems came from. Vidra ran wide down the left for that chance where he lobbed Foster and hit the post. Um, you'd see Rodriguez sort of pulling out wide, getting in behind Messina and sort of holding up positions behind him, sort of almost springing a surprise for a cross coming in from the other side from McNeil. And they were playing to that, and I think that's that's what caused us most of the problems defensively. Watford looked a mess in that first half. But half-time came. It was a terrible first half. Nigel uh, made some changes. I didn't feel like the players he took off were had a particularly terrible game themselves. Uh, it wasn't working as a, as a whole. Decore came on for Cleverly, who's just come back from injury. Cathcart came on for Cabaselli, who didn't really show his face much in the first half, from my point of view. It must have been ongoing fitness. Those changes, particularly the, the Decore one, Mike, it, it started to work. <laughs> I think you're being generous again there, John, and I think you're right. I think the fitness side of things is massive. You know, we played Southampton on Sunday, um, so they Watford have got to get back after an incredibly energy-sapping evening, a long way away from home, get back, somehow get get um, get themselves back and ready physically and mentally to take on a decent Southampton side. So, yes, I do think we have to take that into account, and it is a big issue, but... Decore did make us neater and tidier and I think we did look a bit more cohesive but again going back to what I said right at the very start just disappointed with the imagination we never at any stage really looked like we had the key to to unlock Burnley did we I think and it's and the, the frustrating thing is it's no surprise that said you know Burnley are much what are they they've got 10 points more than us this season they, they battered us at home 3-0 they're the ones looking up the table we're the ones looking nervously over our shoulders so 
you know, perhaps at the start of, of the game or perhaps at the start of the week, you'd have said a point at Turf Moor would have been absolutely terrific. But bearing in mind everything that, that happened in the last week or so, it, it didn't feel like that. And I just, I just thought, they just lacked imagination. They lacked that cutting edge. They weren't able to get, you know, Jason talked about getting, uh, Matty Vidra in on the, you know, on the angle, um, playing, playing him in and, and, and playing to his strengths. When did we get Ismail Assar into the game? Yeah, I mean, he was the, the, the missing piece, it seemed to be, in terms of. And, that, the, and that's the, down the to us, John. That's yeah. down to us to get him into the game. Work out. He is our best player by by a mile or certainly the most threatening player the pace is, is is blistering we've all seen that we know that the cat's out of the bag we know that teams like Burnley will have a plan for dealing with him so smothering Watford and stopping pinging the balls Watford have to find a way to get your best players into the game and if you can't against teams like Burnley exactly you know we, that's going to happen and we saw it play out and as uh, once Burnley scored can anyone can anyone can anyone put their hand on their heart and say they thought they could see Watford getting back in the game? Because I I couldn't. Well, yeah, I mean, just going back to I, I'm going to be the rebuttal to Mike's um, negativity at the start of the second half first because I thought we did all right. We were the, the possession stats completely switched. All of a sudden, we were in charge of the ball, and there were times where we had them pinned in their half; they couldn't get out. And there were, and okay, we perhaps weren't as creative as we would have liked, but there were a couple of times where we got in behind them, didn't perhaps make the, the uh, or put the best final ball in. Danny Welbeck probably had the best chance where he got in behind, but just took a bit too long. And the, uh, I think, defender, I think it was Tarkovsky, made, made a good tackle. Great tackle. And we actually put in a few good set pieces. What we had one cleared off the line, we put Pope under pressure, he fumbled a couple, didn't he? Certainly in the. Uh, fumbled one in the second half and um, we looked the most likely team to score and the most likely team to go on to win it until until the water break and of course they get their goal from Jay Rodriguez after that Mike like you say no one was particularly Watford weren't really going to go forward but who who though Mike in in the game today who do you think was trying who was who was give, trying trying their best to make a difference Look, I mean, they're, they're all trying, aren't they? None, of, you know, I, and I know how I sound. I sound grumpy and, and upset because I am grumpy and upset. And that's not to say that there wasn't a game plan and they, they didn't absolutely try their best. This is a decent Watford side who have ultimately come unstuck against a, a well drilled and decent Burnley side. It's, it's important not to throw the baby out of the bathwater. We need to stay, um, we need to stay focused. We need to stay confident. And, uh, you know, we've got seven games left to, to save our, our Premier League status. But I, I, I can't hand on heart say anyone massively impressed me. I thought Welbeck looked sharp. I was say, Welbeck was in terms of, for someone who hasn't played a lot of games, you've got yeah. to say he looked sharper, as you say, than you thought he was going to be. He worked very hard. Yeah. And I, and I think as we've one of the common themes of this podcast so far has been has been talking about fitness. So if we can get, we're going to need a shift from uh, from from the entire squad, aren't we? If we if we're going to get through this, and I think uh, Welbeck sort of getting forward, getting to the byline, he looked he looked sharp, ish. All things considered, I think he was probably a a, a rare highlight. Uh, but I thought Jace Kiko, you know, when, when Decore came on second half, he was the one being the the threat. Going down on on the right, not Zar. He sort of filled in for him. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think first half I talked about Deeney perhaps being a bit lonely up front on his own, and the uh, the other two forwards not tucking in maybe enough. Whereas start of the second half, Zar was able to tuck in a bit more, and Kiko was getting loads of space out on the right. They, it's almost like 
Burnley didn't know what to do. They didn't seem to be able to cover that space and he was sort of whipping loads of balls into the box. Um, and a few little sort of one twos down the right hand side as well. One us a few corners like we talked about. And that, that did seem to be a, a, a big difference and a big improvement for us. So it was pleasing to see he, the, the fullbacks we talked about, the negativity in terms of their positioning sometimes and getting caught out. We need to talk about the positive impact that they can make. And when Kiko was doing that and getting forward, we, we were looking dangerous. Uh, but Mike, out of the players who, who were on the field that felt like they weren't really in the field, maybe I should be a bit nice about that. Maybe I should say, who didn't do as well today as they had done on Saturday? You know, I do wonder about the performance on Saturday as well. We saw Leicester labour to uh, a point against Brighton, didn't we, a couple of days ago? And they were Leicester perhaps lucky to to end up with a point against uh, Brighton, with Brighton missing the penalty, Mope missing that that early on. And I just do wonder whether that that result against Leicester is as good as we might have initially thought. And and to be perfectly frank, I think we've we've hit the highs already. We're talking about Kiko, talking about talking about Welbeck. Um, Ben Foster made a couple of good saves, I guess. But for me, I think the team as a as a unit will be disappointed with that. Uh, and and I think we're right to Jason's absolutely right to pick up on the positive side of things. And I think yeah, perhaps I was a little bit over uh, overtly negative with the with my take on the on the start to the second half. But what I would say is we I just don't think we made enough of that of that possession we had. So I think the team as a whole, John, will be disappointed with that. And I think. Uh, my take on that is I, I, I don't want to go divert from that. I, I just don't think anyone really deserves massive amounts of praise. I don't think anyone did, deserves massive amounts of criticism. I just think it was a, a disappointing that perhaps it was a, a result that we ordinarily wouldn't necessarily expect to get get much out. We're back at home on, on Sunday and, and perhaps they can regroup and learn a little bit about each other, learn a bit more about this situation we're in, learn about more about the atmosphere we're playing in uh, and all these mitigating circumstances we've spoken about. But all of them really need to quite you know without wanting to be reductive and sound daft about it they just need to pull their socks up a little bit and they're better than this uh and, and i expected and hope for more here here uh but yeah i wanted to get you know i'm uh obviously quite highly em- emotional about this uh this thing but so jace, unlike you, you. So <laughs> unlike you. <laughs> jace you've got a, a, a keen eye when it comes to tactics and the and the formation and the, and the pattern of play and i'd when when Troy Deeney came off, he did, Troy himself looked disappointed as he as he would be to be taken off. But I wondered whether it might be a case of playing two down the middle, Jace, at that stage, just trying something a little bit different. What was your take on that on that yeah, substitution I, from Nigel Pearson? And does well, he have a bit of criticism headed his way for the way he handled that last sort of twenty minutes or so? I think so. I, d- I didn't like either of the substitutions after we'd gone one nil down. The drinks break had, had sort of stopped our momentum and then the goal seemed to to knock us for six and we just didn't look like being capable of anything it looked, we needed something to change the first substitution was like for like wasn't it Will Hughes off Chalabar on I didn't think it changed anything in any way and then to take off Troy and bring on Andre Gray striker for striker so again same same for same but not to the point where Andre's key attribute is his is his pace where he's better suited playing against someone who's playing a high line, trying to get in behind. Burnley are not going to be playing a high line when they're 1-0 up at home with 10 minutes to go. <laughs> why, oh why, bring Troy Dini off and bring Andre Gray on? I just didn't get it. It just didn't make sense at all for me, other than going, oh, I'm taking a striker off, let's put another one on. It just, did, it just, just didn't feel like it was a thought-out, planned... This is how we're going to get something out of the game substitution. It was just, right, yeah, striker off, striker on. 
Uh, well, let's see, actually, uh, what Nigel had to say post-match. Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, uh, wasn't able to get on. Technical things happen. Uh, this podcast now, but he sent us this message after hearing what Nigel Pearson had to say post-Watford's 1-0 defeat at Turf Moor. I was indeed at the game, gents. Uh, great to be on the show once again. Unfortunately, uh, the performance didn't live up to the expectation, did it? Which was really, really disappointing. Nigel Pearson was very philosophical after the game, to be fair to him. Um, he said, you know, we can't dwell on the game and perhaps it is fortunate that they do have another game coming up on Sunday against Southampton so they can get it out of their system because he said that they did some good things but they also did some some bad things as well. And the key bad thing was that they missed some big opportunities and I suppose when you weigh it up and you step outside of the emotion of losing a game that you thought come on we can win this you have to look at it being again down to fine margins and that's not an excuse but if Dwight McNeil hadn't cleared off the line from Deeney's header if Danny Welbeck had just slipped a pass into uh, Ishmael Assar or you know shot himself if Craig Dawson's uh, couple of attempts had, had gone either side of the, the crossbar, it could have been a lot a lot different. Adam Messina once again. So it was basically down to individual mistakes, and that's really been the story of the season so far, hasn't it? Um, a couple of other things that Nigel Pearson spoke about, aside from the, you know, the spurned opportunities, which he mentioned, uh, he said that there was too many unforced errors from the team. Um, he was also asked about the, the change of shape as well. I asked him about bringing in um, Danny Welbeck, how he felt that went, because it did also change the formation. And he said the the reason why there was a lack of cohesion in the first half wasn't down to a change of shape. It was down to um, individual errors, essentially. Um, so I think he sort of bristled a little bit at the accusation that, yes, they might have changed shape. And that was the reason why they didn't look particularly good at the start of the game. So it was the first time that you really seen Nigel Pearson sort of on the edge a little bit. But to be fair to him, he always balances out his questions uh, and his answers, I should say. And in the end, I suppose they just have to dust themselves down and to coin a cliche like uh, Mike was full of on the last podcast. Uh, they just have to go again. And uh, fingers crossed they can get things right against Southampton. See you soon, gents. Do not scratch your ears. You're listening to From the Rookery End. It's now less than three days until Watford are back in action. Vicarage Road will be welcoming Southampton late on Sunday afternoon. Last time out at St Mary's, it was 2-1 to the South Coasters and we witnessed a very frustrating Friday night performance from Watford which started to show off what Zar could do and what ended up being Kike Sanchez-Flores' last game in charge of Watford. I say last, you never know. Uh, of course, Southampton played Arsenal tonight. They lost 2-0 at home and they lost Jack Stevens after he was sent off late in the game. To help us preview Sunday's game and to make several wrestling comparisons, Mike and I caught up with Carl Anker, the Athletic Southampton correspondent, and we started by asking if the win against Norwich last week had put Southampton in a positive place, even if it was just a win against bottom of the league Norwich. Yeah, I think the confidence is definitely there. Yes, it is only Norwich, quote-unquote. You've got to bear in mind there was a point in the season where Southampton hadn't won a game at home all season and Norwich came to town and then 
Watford were also going to come to town and that was sort of the beginning of, of Southampton's sort of new age and, and getting things together. That win should, again, it, it gets to that state where they're as close to being mathematically safe without technically being mathematically safe. But the, the signs were really encouraging. Uh, the press eventually got found its way there after 20 minutes. There's no injuries. Uh, the team looked quite fit as well. Uh, Ralph Hassel didn't make any substitutions until quite late on in the game, which I thought that was... You know, that's something I'm definitely going to write about. Encouraging signs from Southampton. You mentioned that that turnaround, Carl, and that it did really begin with that that Watford game, didn't it? That was the almost the uh, the line in the stand, wasn't it? It beat came from behind to to beat Watford in slightly contentious fashion. I think the uh, the handball uh, uh, wasn't picked up by VAR. I think we'll call that a draw after um, after Abdullah Dekouray's uh, slightly dubious equaliser the year before. So uh, we we won't go into that too much. But how has Ralph turned it around so so dramatically at, at Southampton? Because it seems that not only have the results have picked up, but the the style of play really seems to have clicked this season it's, a, it's such a tale of two halves really this year, this year yeah it really is Ralph has talked about it at fan forums about the, the changes and whatnot, and and sort of the buy-in and he, he describes it sort of as a death or glory type play hmm. where after that defeat to Leicester City he didn't really have enough time to to get everyone around the table and go what's going on because they had to play Manchester City twice in the same week um, and then there was a game against Everton and then it got into second international break and it sounds as if during the second international break there was just a big team meeting and, and he essentially went why why can't you do the thing I need you to do which is pressing and this emphasis on ball wins I think the interesting thing about Hassel in that he's compared a lot to Jurgen Klopp but I think one of the key differences between the two is Hassel is less of a hugger which can cause uh <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but you can really see it when things are going badly for Southampton. Yeah, where yeah. He, he he talks about how we don't feel pressure; they know the job they need to do. And it's sort of if you want your players who aren't the most you know naturally gifted to play this very robust, hard-running style of football, it would help if you hug them more. <laughs> and I think uh, it, at, during that second international break, he he sort of reminded them the value of the system. And also probably was, just seemed a bit nicer to him in those two weeks. And they changed to this 4-2-2-2 system that he's been trying to play for ages. And before that, they were playing a 3-5-2, which just wasn't working. Southampton are playing the way he wants them to play. And Danny Ings has taken off in terms of goal scoring. And, and he's got some really ingenious coaching fail-saves to get around the fact that Southampton don't have the most talented collection of football players. I mean, the great thing is, I, I can imagine him giving them a hug, but only if you do what I say, boys. Yeah, definitely a dad of a, of a, of a manager, not a, not a mum. But the, 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 sort of, the turnaround seems to be more than that, because... You know, trying to compare him with Nigel Pearson. I think you hear mum and a dad, let's say, from Nigel Pearson, because he has a straightforward tone, but he's sort of maybe an older brother, let's say, uh, to to throw (laughs) the family analogy even further. Um, But the the, the club seem to really have invested in him now. You know, clearly it's it's wide. You know, the four-year contract he's been given, which is massive compared to any other football club in the world. What else has happened yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say Ralph Hassel is as close to an old school 90s quote unquote football manager uh, as we sort of have in the Premier League in terms of just complete oversight. Nowadays, obviously, quite a lot of clubs have director of footballs and whatnot, but Ralph, he does have a director of football in, in Matt Rucker, but Ralph played a part in the hiring or, or, you know, helped approve that decision of bringing in Matt Rucker as well. Ralph has spent the lockdown in Munich with his family and then during then he's written what's being termed as an iBook or the Southampton Football Club Playbook which is just hours of training footage that he's cut 
and edited himself to demonstrate very specific plays he wants Southampton players from the first team all the way down to under nine level to do. So you think, you know, for, for years, Southampton Academy was very much working on technique, working on very much continental style, loads of figure eights, um, not too much resistance training, so to speak. Not as much gameplay scenarios in terms of you want to play at full tilt. Whereas Hustle, his expertise is what you do when you're out of possession and it's all about shape and it's all about pressing. So he's essentially spent the entire lockdown writing a book going, right, this is how I need the academy to play in order to make the adjustment from under 18, under 23 level to first team where I'll be playing these kids in the next two to three years as seamless as possible. They've gone all in on Hassel. I think it's going to pay off. Ralph genuinely seems like one of the more inventive coaches in the Premier League at the moment. It's quite fun watching him just do stuff. Yeah, the, the way he's turned it around has been has been quite impressive, really, hasn't it? Like you say, because there's you know Southampton fans were were really in the doldrums, weren't they? Because whatever it was, it wasn't clicking, and for it to have turned around to that extent, and it sounds like he's had a file it under, underneath him, and he's obviously had the um, the support of the board to go away and and have that sort of big helicopter view of the next four, five, six, seven years. It's um, it's fascinating and yeah, something that we could only really dream of as, as Watford supporters, having a head coach who's uh, who's looking that far ahead. We've got obviously a massive battle on our hands um, to, to just get through this season now. It looks like Southampton are, are safe. But Carl, I was really fascinated by your, your recent piece in the, on The Athletic about the about the high turnovers and obviously that's the, the fruit of, of, the, of the way, um, the fruit of the labour of the way Southampton play breaking it up early and then and then going on and scoring and actually Watford are pretty similar and looking at the stats Watford have got a number of goals from from pinching the ball high up the uh, high up the uh, pitch just like like Southampton do haven't quite had the same good run of results but how do you see that sort of similar sort of style playing out in the game on uh, on Sunday I think it'll be an interesting experiment in counter punches as far as I understand Watford and please correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. um, the main aim of what you try and do is try and get Delafay or Saar on the flanks to break at speed and then the Corey to break forward and sort of work as an extra sort of attacker to support everyone. So the idea is at no point in time should Deeney be too isolated. Um, Saar looks like a genuine talent. Now he's got a bit more confidence on him. Pearson probably should have been the person Waffle should have got in the first place. If, if yeah. you bear in mind, um, after the, after the, Southampton defeated Watford. That was the end of Kike Sanchez Forest. And that, I, mean, I, I sat in his very last press conference and he had a very interesting demeanour of a man who sort of knew he was going to no longer be in employment, but was sort of just like, well, I tried my best. You know, well, that shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, Watford, Watford at the start of the season looked worrying. Um, Yavi Gracia's sort of form uh, and, and a dip in league form was odd. Uh, and Kike Sanchez Forez being put back in charge struck me as Something as because he sort of already had a car parking space and already knew all the locker room codes, um, as it were. Whereas Pearson, yeah, if if you want to get a manager in who makes you want to run for fifteen games, I'm definitely going to run if Pearson tells me to run. He's a man best described as a Ben Matchell, who sometimes writes for the Sunday Times. Uh, described Nigel Pearson as your stepdad who turned your bedroom into a Tybo workout room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I absolutely can see him doing that, <laughs> and it would definitely t- it would, would be that sort of martial arts. He, he yeah, he wouldn't be messing around, would he? Yeah. Well, while we're on the um, on that just slight tangent, I know you're a bit of a wrestling fan, Carl. So if you could um, perhaps, if this was a wrestling matchup, a WWE matchup, Southampton against um, <laughs> Southampton against Watford, how, who who would it be? 
bit niche for, for, for a lot of our listeners, but, uh, but indulge us. Pearson strikes me as that sort of authority figure in the mid-card, a sort of a, a Lance Storm, <laughs> or uh, Pearson's a submission specialist, or like a William Regal. The thing, I, I find Pearson more terrifying now he's got, now he's wearing the glasses. <laughs> now he's wearing these sort of authoritarian spectacles, he's even IRS more intimidating. Fans. Yeah, yes, that's the one. Because <laughs> yeah. you can sort of see Pierce at any point in time just very slowly removing his spectacles and going, right, <laughs> I'm gonna headbutt you now. Um, whereas Southampton are, are, are a little bit chaotic, a little bit heelish in what they want to do, okay. so I'd say probably an undersized heel. Um, yeah, there can be sort of shield-like Seth Rollins. <laughs> well, well, I was lucky enough to go to WrestleMania last year. Do you think what? Do you think this this game is going to be a main event spectacle? I mean, I think from the way we're we're talking, it sounds like it's going to be two teams standing back a little bit, sort of shadow boxing a little bit. No, neither team going to going to commit too much, and it could be uh, a bit of a battle of wills, perhaps. This one, do you think? Now. I think it's one of those things where we're having to constantly change and reevaluate how we view these football things because of, you know, we're getting used to new substitute rules. We're getting used to the fact that everyone seems to be asleep for the first half. We're getting used to water breaks and whatnot. And I, I reckon nothing's going to happen in this game until the first water break because Hassel and Pearson both strike me as the sort of person to be like, right, just chill out, feel each other out for the first or do some catch wrestling. You know, <laughs> and then you want to go for the big moves during the first water break. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! Mike, we're going to do another podcast after Sunday's game. You're going to luckily be there again with your opta duties. It's just an opportunity, isn't it? It's an opportunity for Watford to show what sort of team they are uh, and as a unit to, to make improvements from this game. Surely that's, that's it. Yeah, they they absolutely have to bounce back. They're they're running out of road. There's now seven games. When we speak next, there'll be there'll be six games left. And you know, there's no. It's it's pretty obvious what they have to do. They have to pull their socks up and they have to play better. Um, Southampton will be a be a tricky game there, as we heard from Carl. They're they're looking to the future. Watford are very much uncertain about their future at the moment, and that's what they're playing for. And you would absolutely hope and pray that the, the performance on on Sunday against Southampton is um, more inventive, more imaginative, more dynamic, and ultimately ends up with uh, with three points because we're getting to the stage now where that's all that's going to be good enough, isn't it? So. Six cup finals left. First one coming up on uh, on Sunday. Watford can beat Southampton. Southampton a decent side. They've come unstuck tonight against a wobbly Arsenal. This is strange, you know. Project restart. The game since since we've kicked off again are weird. It's an it's an odd circumstance. But we said it, didn't we? During during lockdown, it's going to be the teams that can deal with it best that will come through it. Um, Brighton have, 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 have done well they seem to be pulling away the rest of us are still mired in it aren't we none of us have really come to terms with with the situation good thing about this odd sort of run of games is that they come around quickly so hopefully they'll get together as a team they'll try and work out what went wrong what went right uh, and they'll try and fix it and, and, and turn in a decent performance on, on Sunday but they, they have to they absolutely have to up their game on Sunday uh, and you know I think, I think it's, a, it's a must win yeah, I think it's clear that we need to be better. I just don't know what we're going to get from Southampton because I thought they, they looked good beating a poor Norwich. Um, that was a good start to, to the restart for them. But I fully expected them to beat a struggling, poor Arsenal tonight and they, they lost 2-0 at home, so I was quite surprised by that. So 
Really don't know what we're going to get from those guys on Sunday. But yeah, we need to be better. We'll be back after the game to have a chat about whatever happens. Uh, and thank you again for listening to From the Rookery. And remember, you can uh, catch all Carl's writing and all Adam's writing on The Athletic by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end where you get a 40% discount. Oh yes, 40% off, which is only £3 a month and only 10 pence a day it's like getting a daily sports newspaper but just electronically yeah we we, we, don't, we know there's, 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 there's great newspapers of, of you know the, the gazetta della sport the keep you know these great sports newspapers have we ever had one mike there was the pinken in norwich wasn't there that's about as close as we got apparently yeah go to the athletic.com forward slash rookie end uh, to sign up thank you very much michael you're welcome come on watford we got this we got this and thank you jason thank you And come on, you all!